1: Thank you for joining us for a new week of uh, African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us uh, on uh, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. And uh, if you're listening to us on DSTV, it's Channel 802. Well, today we're going to be looking at the Mo Ibrahim Index, try to break it down and look at what it means. It's saying that uh, there has been some improved governance on the continent, especially when you look at countries, the surprising countries like Libya and also Zimbabwe. So we're going to try to break it down. What does this mean for the continent? But before we get into that, let's get our news. And Musa is standing by. <music>
4: In the headlines, Morocco's National Electoral Observer body says voting last week was free and fair. Nigeria Security Agency seizes thousands of dollars in cash during raids targeting senior judges and protesting students at Wits University in Johannesburg vow to shut down all academic activities. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Morocco's national election observer body says voting last week had largely been free and fair, though it's investigating cases of vote-buying and has expressed concern about a low turnout. The moderate Islamist Party of Justice and Development won the legislative election. The National Council of Human Rights, which oversees election monitoring, released a preliminary report on Sunday noting irregularities. Nigeria Security Agency has seized 800,000 US dollars in cash found during raids targeting senior judges in corruption investigations. The Department of State Services says the judges were from the Supreme Appeal and High Courts. The Nigerian Association Bar Association has, meanwhile, issued a statement accusing the security agency of a Gestapo style operation and demanded the release of judges arrested in the investigation. President Mohamedou Buhari has vowed to crack down on corruption. Protesting students at Wits University in Johannesburg have vowed to shut down all academic activities on campus, despite an earlier decision by university management to resume classes. Wits SRC says that they will not allow lectures to go ahead until their demand for free quality education is met. Today marks the fourth week of protest by students. The student says police will not deter them from shutting down the academic program.
2: We believe that from east, to west, south and north, there is no
5: freedom without free education. We are sticking on our point, and comrades are mobilising. Some that are on the way, they are already in campus, actually, in main campus, but they are fri- coming from shutting down the part-town campuses. So we are still going to shut down everything.
4: The killing of more than 140 people in the Yemeni capital, Sanaa, following airstrikes has been condemned by the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon. In a statement following the attack on the large funeral ceremony on Saturday, Ban expressed his sincere condolences and sympathies to the families of the victims. Matthew Wells reports.
3: The UN Chief called for a prompt and impartial investigation of the airstrikes said to have been carried out by the Saudi-led coalition. The aerial bombing campaign began in March last year when the coalition began supporting government forces in their efforts to wrest control of Yemen, back from Houthi rebels who currently control the capital, Sana'a. Mr. Ban said that any deliberate attack against civilians was utterly unacceptable and called for those responsible to be brought to justice. According to news reports, coalition members said they would immediately investigate the case, along with experts from the United States.
4: And finally, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump has clashed in a heated second U.S. presidential debate that began by delving into the remarks made by the Republican nominee on an audio videotape. Trump responded by accusing Clinton of smearing women who has accused her husband, President Bill Clinton, of sexual abuse or harassment. Show Brass Peace reports from New York.
0: Nominees did not repeat their smiles and handshake scene at the top of the first debate, rather treating their Washington University St. Louis, Missouri audience to polite nods. It was not long when co-moderator Anderson Cooper raised concerns about comments Trump made in a recently released video recording about touching women in a sexually explicit fashion.
6: You brag that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood what was said. This was locker room talk.
0: He tried to pivot to issues of foreign policy, particularly the fight against ISIS, saying he'd rather get on to much more important things.
4: Recapping the top stories, Morocco's National Electoral Observer body says vote... Voting last week was free and fair. My Jewish Security Agency seizes thousands of dollars in cash during raids targeting senior judges and protesting students at Wits University in Johannesburg vowed to shut down all academic activities. From the 15th of August, join Channel Africa at 900 Central African Time from Monday to Thursday every week for the book reading. A Vision of Paradise by Kaisanya Tsumba. That's Monday to Thursday at 900 Central African Time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining on our program, African Dialogue, where we zoom into one big issue on the day and really try to expand on that and give it context. And today we're looking at the Mo Ibrahim Index uh, of African countries. And governance on the continent has said to improve uh, in the past years, according to the Mo Ibrahim 2016 Index of African countries. Leading the pack are Libya and Ivory Coast as the most improved. There are a few surprises, the top spots, which include Togo and Zimbabwe, while the Central African Republic, Eritrea and Madagascar, were along with Libya as the most deteriorated uh, countries uh, on the uh, continent. So it's very much of an interesting... uh, uh, kind of format this particular index. I know there's a whole lot of discussions around it. But to help us expand on this particular issue, we've got Yarik Turiansky, who is the Program Manager at Sayers Governance and APR Program. Yarik, thank you for joining us on our program.
6: Uh, good morning, Benjamin, and thank you very much for having me on the show this morning.
1: Fantastic. Now, we're going to try get through to the Mo Ibrahim Foundation. Uh, we're going to go through to their offices some in London and just try to also look at this particular uh, index itself. But I know from your side, you've been looking at this particular index as soon as it was released. Tell us a little bit about how you found the um, the, the index itself and what stood out for you.
6: Yeah, indeed, Benjamin. You know what? Uh, at uh, the South African Institute of International Affairs, we've been monitoring this uh, index for quite a while, uh, almost since inception. So it's uh, very welcome that, uh, on an annual basis, we uh, um, get new material to work with it. Uh, of course, index uh, uh, is considered to be um, uh, the most comprehensive out of all the Africans, uh, African governance assessment tools. It's not easy to to measure uh, governance. So kudos to uh, the Mo Ibrahim Foundation for coming up with a uh, uh, worthy uh, project like that. You know, like mm. with any social science project, there's always a lot of uh, perception and opinion involved. But um, uh, the Mo Ibrahim Index, like I said, is very comprehensive, and they use uh, a large number of uh, African and international uh, data sources and statistics. Uh, it's a composite index, so then they um, uh, you know, uh, make the numbers uniform, and sure. then uh, they come out with uh, ratings across yeah. uh, four uh, thematic areas, which are quite broad, uh, but that holistically represent governance. So they look at uh, political participation in human rights, uh, also safety and the rule of law, so the more security uh, aspects of uh, of that human development and uh, and sustainable economic governments. And then, of course, the one thing we haven't mentioned is uh, the Mo Ibrahim Foundation also gives out a price hmm. uh, to uh, African leaders. And uh, it's, it's quite an interesting and innovative idea. You hmm. know, we have so many leaders in Africa that really uh, overstay uh, their welcome, let's say, uh, in power uh, and uh, go on ruling their countries for decades. So uh, Mo Ibrahim Foundation basically offers a very nice hmm. uh, retirement package hmm. uh, to leaders who have uh, left uh, their uh, government in uh, in a better state than they found them um, and that uh, have left them voluntarily without trying to uh, extend constitutional terms and uh, the, the elections went peaceful so uh, mm. the laureates uh, received uh, 5 million US dollars for 10 years and then 200,000 uh, dollars after that but the interesting thing is uh, the foundation does not award uh, the prize for the sake of awarding it so, mm. They've given it, uh, they they could have given it out nine times um, in the past nine years, but they've only actually given it out four times. Mm. Uh, um, And then the the lawyers include uh, Joaquin Chisano of Mozambique, Mm. uh, Festus Mohai of Botswana, Pedro Pires of Cupbird, and uh, Hifikepunye Mohamba of Namibia. But then for the past two years, and including this year, the prize wasn't given out because they said that they don't see any worthy candidates.
1: Mm. You know what? It's interesting when we look at the issue of governance. I just want to backtrack a little bit when we're speaking sure. about governance because it can become such a, uh, you know, general statement or a general phrase, governance on the continent or governance in the country. But when we're speaking about governance, how do we actually look at it? How do we actually measure it? Because it can be seen in such, such a broad way, Eric.
6: Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, the No Ibrahim itself, uh, you know, defines governance as uh, as looking at how uh, how power is uh, is exercised, um, uh, you know, how rules are, are implemented, um, and as mentioned, uh, you know, it's it's quite broad in the sense that they look at the political aspects, they look at the security aspect, but they also look at the at the socio-economic aspects. Um, and uh, they, they also don't uh, prioritize one over the other because if we look at the, uh, the index this year and the index uh, indices from the past few years, you can see that there are states in Africa, notably uh, Rwanda and Ethiopia, that are doing very well in the socio-economic governance. But at mm. the same time, the project across political governance and human rights is either uh, marginal or it's even declining and um, deteriorating. Um, so in one of the past years, when the, the prize was not given out, um, a member from the, from the prize committee from the Ibrahim Foundation actually said that in spite of the economic advances and the progress that we're seeing on the continent, we can't prioritize one aspect of government over the other. So even though our country might be improving the livelihoods uh, for its citizens, Uh, You know, we can't award this prize because at the same time, while people's economic uh, situation and welfare Mm -hmm. is getting better, uh, their human rights may be declining, which is an unfortunate situation for the state.
1: So how do you play a balancing act in in, in that regard? Because that seems to be where the challenge is in order to actually stimulate some form of way of understanding uh, the way forward for governance on the continent because there seems to be those contradictions that are in play, as you've mentioned there, Eric.
6: Benjamin, I think that's the million rand or the million dollar question. Um, And uh, obviously there's different schools of uh, thought on uh, how to do that. Um, we have been seeing uh, many African states prioritizing the, the developmental state model, um, you know, uh, perhaps looking, looking east uh, rather than west uh, to, uh, to government practices and basically trying to um, establish a solid economic base, uh, lift people out of poverty, but uh, that's uh, coming at the expense of the government that is more um, authoritarian. Uh, that is more uh, totalitarian in the nature. That does not uh, provide for much political opposition. That does not provide for for political debate. Mm-hmm. And debate uh, often tends to happen uh, within uh, within the same uh, uh, political party. But uh, what we do also see is uh, people uh, rebelling against that. Mm-hmm. You know, using the example of the of the Arab Spring, mm-hmm. uh, which did uh, primarily happen in the Middle East, but also in certain parts of Africa and. Uh, in the north of Africa, and then the protests that are taking place in, in Ethiopia at uh, this point in time as well.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, you know, it's, it's evident that uh, for people, um, you know, just being lifted out of poverty uh, is not enough, mm-hmm. uh, and there are those who uh, also want uh, want to have more personal freedoms, uh, to have more personal liberties, uh, and that's the main reason uh, why there are these uh, uh, popular. Uh, Uprisings in, in some mm, of these places, mm,
2: mm, but of mm. course
6: the economic aspect is is very important as well, and that's what we're experiencing in South Africa at the moment. The economic aspect of you know initiatives like the the seas must fall, sure. uh, for instance, which is taking place across uh, uh, tertiary educations in South Africa, and that's about students saying you know we want uh, more of an economic freedom. You know we have our our political uh, our political freedom, but then we want. Uh, free tertiary education. Mm. So, you know, depending on the context, if you see that the government uh, is perhaps leaning one way uh, over the other, uh, then the people rebel against um, uh, not having what they want, whether that's political rights or whether that's uh, economic rights.
1: Mm. Well, we are speaking to Yarik Triansky, who is the Program Manager of Sears Governance and APRM Program, joining us there on the line. What are your thoughts around governance on the continent? We're going to try when we come back to break down the more Ibrahim uh, African Index uh, of Governance to really look at uh, the countries that have improved it's very interesting to see the top four because there's a lot of challenges in some of these countries. Uh, when you look at uh, uh, Ivory Coast, Togo, Zimbabwe was an interesting one for me. And there's Liberia and Rwanda and Ethiopia. So there's a lot of uh, uh, context to actually cover as we continue our program. Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus 27796957930. That's plus 27796957930. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African
0: Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605471711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605471711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
4: From the 15th of August, join Channel Africa at 900 Central African Time from Monday to Thursday every week for the book reading. A Vision of Paradise by Kaysenya Tsumba. That's Monday to Thursday at 900 Central African Time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And uh, we're looking at uh, the Mo Ibrahim uh, Index today, right here on our program, really trying to unpack what does it mean in terms of uh, governance. And uh, a great intro that we've just started the program with Yarik Turyansky, just giving us a backdrop on uh, what does the Mo Ibrahim Index of African countries mean and what is it. And also the context in terms of, uh, you know, how does it actually define us as a continent. And I think that you started very well the conversation there Yarick but let's let's take this forward looking at the countries themselves I highlighted that uh, some of the top countries I was a little bit surprised there Yarick looking at countries such as Zimbabwe uh, also uh, you know uh, Rwanda is one of the top Ethiopia so it's it's very interesting to see these di- dynamics what what stood out for you in the top 5 Côte K- uh, Togo Zimbabwe Liberia Rwanda
6: um, you know, Benjamin. The, the interesting thing about the, the index is, uh, is the breakdown uh, that it provides. Because if we see if we see progress, um, sometimes that progress uh, masks something else. Um, so you know, certainly as you've pointed out, uh, you know, with a country like Rwanda, uh, you know, big increase by uh, by eight point four. Um, but like I said, it's once you start looking at what area of governance they, they are prioritizing over the other, that's when things really become interesting. Um, so for instance, in the case of Rwanda, the, the majority of progress has been achieved uh, through human development and socio-economic opportunity. You know, we're looking at uh, basically double figures there. Interestingly, something like political participation has also marginally uh, risen, but once again, it's all about going to the uh, deeper level. Um, And at the end of the day, there's the the first level, which is the overall, and there's the second level, which is the thematic area. Mm, mm. But then the thematic areas are also broken down into into subcategories. So if you look at those subcategories, you'll see that uh, in the past 10 years, Rwanda has achieved plus 28 uh, in terms of promoting uh, their gender balance in the country, their gender parity, uh, because currently Rwanda has uh, the most uh, female members of parliament in the world. But in terms of the the actual personal uh, liberties and freedoms um, and human rights the situation is declining and it's a very similar situation with regard to Ethiopia also significant uh, progress across gender uh, but security uh, situation is deteriorating because of what is um, because of what is happening mm. uh, you know with the protests and uh, uh, you know the same uh, uh, situation with human rights uh, and, uh, and personal freedoms the uh, government is simply not uh, affording them to
1: the citizens. Well, let's see if we can uh, connect with the Mo Ibrahim Foundation itself. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they're joining us from London or somewhere in the United Kingdom. Joining us on the line, let's see if we can get Richard Murray, who's the acting head, and uh, Siv Haider Otterson, who is one of the analysts there. Uh, Richard, uh, uh, can you hear me there? And uh, Siv Haider, can you hear me there as well?
3: Morning,
1: Benjamin. Fantastic. It's great to hear you guys. It's great every year we speak to you guys. So it's fantastic to get this opportunity once again. We've already looked at the backdrop. We've already analysed what does the index mean for us. And uh, we've got Yarik Turyanski, who's also joining us here as a program manager from SAS Governance and APR uh, program, and analyst of governance issues in South Africa. But in terms of uh, looking at uh, other areas that we, we, we wanted to hear from you guys. In terms of African improvements, we've seen some improvements in governance, uh, but what actually stood out for the foundation this time around, uh, as Yadik was highlighting some of the areas that stood out for him?
3: Thanks very much, Benjamin. I think what stands out for us here is that overall, on the continent, there has actually been progress, uh, albeit very small by one point. But this progress has really been held back. Uh, So we see, I think uh, Yerik was talking about the different levels of the index prior, we see three of these sort of levels uh, improve, Uh, safety and rule of law being the exception, it being the only category that we see decline over the decade of governance. I think that's what really stood out for us amongst these categories.
1: And on on your thoughts there, Safeda, in terms of uh, some of the areas, especially looking at countries such as Zimbabwe, which a lot of people have said, wait a minute, Zimbabwe.
3: Yeah. Steve, do you want
8: to? So I think we're really keen to emphasize that you should look, when you look at um, uh, governance, the overall governance score, yes, it's shown improvement. Zimbabwe has definitely shown improvement, but it's coming from a very low base. So just looking at uh, the trend in isolation is not enough. South Africa actually still ranks uh, 39th on the continent, which is Mm. a very low rank, Mm. and it's improved. But when you're improving from a low base, it's much easier to make these kind of gains um, in in overall governance than it would be for a country which was high-ranking, for example. So we're very keen to... Um, balance Zimbabwe's um, improvement in trend with some kind of nuance on it's still actually ranking quite poorly at the at the overall governance level.
3: And I, I think I, I'd add to that is that you really get more by diving into the index. So as Sif has just said, you see striking performances from Zimbabwe in rural mm-hmm. sector mm-hmm. and gender, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which support its uh, its trend over the decade. But it's still one of the worst 10 performers on the continent in personal safety and in business environment. And it's one of only 10 countries that actually declined in infrastructure over the decade. So you really do need to look at both the rank, the score, and the trend to get a rounded picture.
1: Mm. Let me come back to you, Yariki. Your thoughts there on uh, the issue of also some of the negatives that we've seen. I mean, safety and rule of law seems to be continuing to be a challenge for uh, the continent. It has registered as a negative trend over the decade. Uh, Your thoughts around what the uh, index highlights in this regard?
6: Yeah, you know, indeed, Benjamin, uh, that, that, is a, that is a concern that there's no uh, uniform uh, solution uh, for something like that. Because if we also delve a little bit deeper into the index, we can see that the uh, reasons for the declining safety and the rule of law differ from country to country. Uh, so in a, in a country uh, such as South Africa, that's mostly due to internal uh, service delivery process, uh, you know, the fees not fall campaigns that they are experiencing right now. But in countries like, for instance, uh, uh, Libya, uh, it's more about uh, civil conflict, uh, civil warfare that's taking place. Uh, you know, similarly to that in Mali, you know, insurgency that's going on in, in Nigeria, uh, the problem uh, of terrorism, uh, the, the issues around uh, Boko Haram. So, you know, Africa probably as a continent needs to, needs to do more uh, collectively to, to address these issues of safety and the rule of law. Uh, both in terms of spillover conflicts as well as other domestic issues. And uh, there are some plans to do that. Um, but largely the African Union, as the body should be leading it, has not been as effective as it could have been. Uh, you know, if we look at something like the African Standby Force, uh, which could have been deployed in many of these uh, situations, hmm. uh, it's something that's been talked about for over a decade, and yet not a single soldier um, has been deployed. Uh, we have the uh, Agenda 2063 that uh, commendably has one of the goals uh, of silencing the guns, uh, but by the year 2020. And with all the uh, that's going on in Africa at the moment, it's probably quite unrealistic uh, to expect. And also with such um, a little uh, initiative uh, on behalf of the African Union, uh, that it's actually going to happen in the next four years, and then there's not going to be any conflict.
7: Mm.
1: Coming back to uh, Richard and um, uh, Serpent there in at the Mo Ibrahim uh, Foundation headquarters, um, I'm also interested in the fact that human rights uh, seems to be not part of the category, but it seems to also play a big role uh, not peripherally but overarching looking at some of the issues highlighted in the index uh, how do people analyze this issue of human rights because it look it's very br- spread out in uh, uh, the index itself
3: yeah I, that's absolutely right I mean in terms of how the index is composed uh, our category participation in human rights is composed of three different subcategories rights uh Wealth, uh, sorry, rights, participation, and gender. And it's one of those categories uh, where we see a split performance. Uh, so we do see, I think, uh, positive signs in participation and in gender, although there is a troubling sort of slight downturn in rights. Um, and again, you really have to look at all of, all of these different levels, as Yarek uh, as was saying, because only then do you see the diverging trends that exist in the index, so, for example, as we were talking just about safety and rule of law a second ago, the split between uh, sub-Saharan Africa and North Africa is really quite pronounced in this area. Mm. Uh, yes, at a, a continent-wide level, the it's, it's category safety and rule of law deteriorates. But if you look at North Africa, it deteriorates far, far stronger by minus 10.2 over the decade. Whereas if you look at West Africa as a region, it actually increases by one2 so I suppose what is true for participation in human rights is also true in safety and rule of law in that you have to dive deep and recognize that a continent this, this big has many different stories, many different diverging trends and it really is 54 stories, 54 countries rather than just a single one.
1: And also, I'm sure that makes this uh, uh, index a bit more uh, open-ended because uh, people have loved it because of its uh, diversity within its uh, contextualizing some of the issues. Uh, Sif, your thoughts around those nuances that Richard and uh, Yarika are also highlighting currently. I want to bring you in, Sif.
8: Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm I'm the analyst here at the foundation, and I think for me, one of the most exciting things, um, and when we speak about nuance, we really have to speak about the different types of data that the index includes as well. So this year, I think something really exciting is that we have a new type of data, and that's public attitude surveys. So we've taken data from Afrobarometer, which asks people on the ground, citizens, how they're feeling about diverse issues, such as uh, human rights and civil all these kind of um, diverse issues. And I think that's... That's what's really exciting for me. One of the one of the things that we're seeing in the index this year is, um, in our education and health subcategories, which sit in the human um, in the human development categories, we're seeing quite diverging trends between how people are feeling about how their government is addressing educational needs and health uh, basic health uh, infrastructures. And these data are really showing quite negative trends, as opposed to all the other measures in education and health which measure things like enrollment ratios so that's that's really interesting you know official data are saying quite positive trends but people on the ground aren't feeling that like the government are delivering on these issues
3: and what we're really seeing there sure. is potentially the gap between expectation and delivery mm. um it's really something we want to pick up more and research over the coming weeks
1: Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to that. Uh, We're joined by Richard Murray, who's the acting head at uh, the Mo Ibrahim uh, Foundation, uh, joining us in London. You guys are in London, am I right? Okay, fantastic. And also we have Yarik turyansky who's the program manager at Say's uh, Governance and APR program. SEA is the South African Institute of International Affairs. It's 11.31, Central African time. We're going to come back and continue looking at the Mo Ibrahim uh, Index. It actually sets the pace as well for governance on the continent. It's adopted by a lot of uh, uh, governance institutions. And also governments also uh, really scrutinizes as well also to look at their own way of uh, moving forward in terms of their governance. What are your thoughts on African governance? Give us your thoughts by smsing us on 277 or you can email us at infochannelafrica.org uh, Don't forget our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa 1 is the numeric one. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap up the conversation
0: change your game be the voice of young african entrepreneurs change your game a program that promotes open discussion change your game we bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the african entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs change your game change your game empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs tune in on Fridays ten hundred hours to ten forty five a.m. Central African time and on Saturdays thirteen hundred hours to fourteen hundred hours Central African time Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance
1: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue, where we uh, put together a panel every day from Monday to Thursday. It's a big task to do that every day for now. It doesn't seem that easy, but it's actually a privilege to actually be doing this program because every day from Monday to Thursday, we contextualize African issues with different experts on our program. And today, we've got Richard Murray, the acting head, uh, and uh, Siv Hader-Otterson, who is uh, the analyst, both joining us from London at the Mo Ibrahim uh, Foundation headquarters. Thank you guys for making time for us. And we also have Yarik Toriansky, who's the program manager at uh, Sayers Governance and uh, APRM program. And uh, as I mentioned, it's the South African Institute of International Affairs. And also, I just wanted to see also the differences between this year's index and last year's index. Does it actually uh, position us in a different space, Yarik? Did you see some differences uh, between the two indexes and what do they actually show us around what can happen in terms of in the space of a year in terms of these trends and the dynamics that we see in the report
6: uh, Benjamin certainly I think that uh, uh, it's difficult to measure mm. uh, data such as this between one year and the other year yeah, sure. time is uh, simply too short mm. so we're talking about policies uh, which sometimes takes years to implement uh, and that can take quite a while to to manifest itself for uh, people to be able to say something, you know, unless uh, there's a drastic event, you know, such as uh, such as a coup d'état, which immediately mm. leads to uh, a country uh, deteriorating. But uh, you know, at the same time, uh, it's much uh, probably easier for things to go down the drain and for mm. us to see uh, negative uh, aspects and regression, rather than to see uh, progress and um, uh, you know uh, positive. <laughs> Uh, Developments, but what's interesting, and I'm sure that uh, colleagues from the Ibrahim Foundation are going to talk about it in more detail, is uh, this was the uh, tenth year uh, in which they've been putting out the index. So uh, I'm sure that they've also highlighted a lot of trends uh, in terms of what's been happening in the past decade. And uh, like Richard was saying earlier, um, there is marginal improvement uh, by one point uh, across uh, uh, across the board uh, for African states, but at the same time. Uh, In the top 10, uh, for me personally, it was interesting that some of the countries that uh, you traditionally consider to be uh, the the best governed on the continent, you know, better democracies, uh, South Africa and Ghana, uh, for instance, in spite of still being in the top 10, uh, both of those countries have shown quite a bit of decline in the past 10 years. Mm
1: Uh, let's let's look at that uh, dynamic with you, uh, uh, Sif, That uh, uh, ten years uh, span of the index uh, does it uh, uh, tell us a, a certain narrative? Um, yeah, I just wanted
8: you to.
6: You know the narrative. Uh, the narrative, I think, think is, okay, is uh, okay. I can I'm hear both
1: saying, of you there, uh, I'm Yarik. Somebody else's question uh, Sure. I'll, I'll, let me take that to Sif, Yarik. I'll bring that back to you.
8: I just wanted to uh, come back to the last question that we we shouldn't compare the 2015 IIG results to the 2015. uh, Just because we historically revise all the data, so that means that every year you just have to throw away any old indexes that you have and just look at the results from the
7: 2016.
8: I think that um, the most exciting things about the index this year and how it's new and how it's actually better placed to look at uh, a decade of governance in Africa is that, again, as I was saying before, we have these new uh, public attitude surveys from Afrobarometer, and that gives a whole new perspective and really challenges some of the assumptions that we had about uh, other types of data. And um, actually, the inclusion of these public attitude surveys means that 17% of the data comes from African sources, which is really important to us because a lot of data um, comes from, you know, these big international institutions and so we really believe that to get a nuanced picture you need, you know, you need great data from the continent and we're really all about kind of strengthening that. We also have new measures on uh, poverty in, yeah. in the index, so it sits in the welfare subcategory and there you can look at the kind of lived experience of poverty um, and we also tried this year to strengthen our participation measures. So it's quite difficult sometimes data on participation are just about Elections, but we think Mm. we're trying to make that more nuanced and look at things like civil society space Mm. and whether people can actually participate in the political processes.
1: Mm. Richard, your thoughts?
8: Um,
3: I think Sif has really covered it. I mean, I suppose my reflection on the participation subcategory in particular would be that there is a real richness in focusing beyond single perspectives. On things. So historically uh, and at the moment in a lot of the debates about sort of uh, terms, presidential terms Mm, and constitutional mm, amendments, mm. you really see a focus solely on executive elections. But obviously governance is far more than this. It's far more than just whether people turn up to the polls every four or five years and change the head of state. It's got to do with uh, how active and capable civil society is in a country. It's got to do with how empowered uh, election monitoring agencies are, and these are really things that we've uh, built into this participation subcategory this year, which means that it's a much, much more rounded picture than we've ever been able to account for before, and as Steve says, it's a a picture that takes uh, the most amount of data we can and we ever have done from the continent itself, which is the most important thing.
1: Mm. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because I have a few minutes left. Uh, Yarik, let me bring it back to you in, in the studio. I know that uh, the, the Mo Ibrahim index is not one that uh, tries to bring recommendations. It's just a data space where people get information and different organizations can tap into this particular space, which is very, very helpful for very, for a space of, uh, you know, civil society where sometimes information can be so fragmented. But Yarik, in terms of uh, what you pick up, uh, what kind of recommendations could we have for uh, countries that are not doing so well, especially those ones at, at the bottom there, uh, you know is, is it a weakness of the index itself? The fact that it doesn't have recommendations?
6: No, no, I don't think it's a, it's a weakness at all. Um, you know I think it's actually very good for uh, social scientists to, to have an objective uh, index such as this one um, you know, that's open to, to interpretation bias. Uh, and then we uh, can then go ahead and, uh, and make recommendations. And, you know, besides that, there are many more other indices that exist uh, that, uh, that have more of a narrative that uh, can also be uh, tapped to uh, for supplementary sources. I mean, for me, I would say the main thing is that African governments really need to start um, prioritizing their citizens, you know, putting citizens at the forefront. Because we see so much of the uh, of elite politics, what Richard was alluding to, uh, you know, elections taking place, um, every four to five years. Sometimes there's a change of guard. Sometimes it's the same uh, guys who have been in power in spite of elections for uh, the past two um, or, or three decades. But the problem is the people at the top uh, very often forget to, to think about the people in, in other areas and in the other uh, layers of the society. And I think that certainly if the people were prioritized, uh, then we wouldn't see such a decline. In, uh, in safety and the rule of law, because to me is an indication that the people aren't happy, um, and uh, which is why uh, there's so much strife and, uh, and turmoil, and both civil conflict, um, but uh, but also internal protests in uh, different places of Af- uh, different parts of Africa.
1: Mm. Um, so if your thoughts there on uh, also, uh, I know also the interpretation of uh, the index uh, is one that's also important in kind of you need to honor also the fact sometimes it's it's difficult to kind of you know, control that as a foundation, how people use these facts. But, uh, I mean, as an analyst, how would you advise people to actually collate information responsibly and in the right ways in order for them to use it effectively? Because I've seen sometimes people not being able to effectively use the index in a more productive way and almost break things down out of context.
8: I think that we as an institution, you know, as you mentioned, we don't really provide recommendations. We allude to some interesting key results and key findings. But I think that our responsibility is just putting out this data as a dashboard for anyone to use it. You know, it's free, it's accessible, it's it's transparent, how we calculate the index. Um, And I think, like, as an analyst, hearing researchers like Yannick talk about the index is fantastic in highlighting these diverging trends. Mm. And, yeah, just we, we just make the results uh, freely available and they're for anybody to use. Of course, we cannot control who uses them in what way, but we hope that researchers and academicians and policymakers will really take them and use them as a dashboard for policy recommendations because that's, that's what we're kind of trying to achieve. So. Well, fantastic.
1: It's difficult to do a show like this because we can't cover everything in the index. So how do people get hold of the index just to get a bigger context of it? Because it's such a huge index itself and it's so detailed in its various uh, uh, you know, uh, headlines and its point forms. It's a fantastic uh, report. Richard, how do people get hold of it?
3: I'm glad you asked that. So you can follow us on Twitter. You can go to our website, Foundation. There's a whole section on there on the index uh, where you can download an Excel tool if you're data geeks like we are. Or you can also just have a look at our key findings. And uh, over the coming months, we're going to be publishing a series of country documents around that that will make that easier. Mm. Um, But get in touch with us on Twitter. We always want to hear how people are using uh, the index and any research ideas you have. So, yeah, do just reach out.
1: Mm, Fantastic. Yarek, maybe you want final sentiments that you want to leave us with?
6: Um, I think uh, just to uh, thank my uh, colleagues Richard and Sifa from uh, the foundation for doing such a great job. Uh, it certainly makes uh, makes our life uh, uh, in the in the analytical uh, industry easier. And uh, you know, like Richard was saying, you know, encourage everybody who's interested to go on the website. Um, you can download a great uh, tool to, to look at a country by country and also uh, do comparisons by the year, but also see the executive highlights of the full report. So. Uh, people are listening and they were interested in this conversation you know, please go and uh, have a look at the data for yourself and then make your own
1: conclusion. Yeah, and the data can be so much fun. I know I've played with it a couple of times and that's why I keep coming back and doing programs on the Ibrahim Mo- <laughs> Index every year because it, it can be fun. It's not so uh, cerebral. Uh, sometimes the facts can be so interesting. Yeah, you can actually impress people at, at your dinner table during supper and, and come up <laughs> with a whole lot of figures. But uh, thank you to our guests uh, for joining us. Thank you to Richard Murray, acting head and uh, Sir Hayda Otterson analyst list as well at the uh, Mo Ibrahim Foundation. T- thank you to Yarik Toriansky, who's the program manager of Sayers Governance and APRM uh, program. Thank you all for giving us your time.
3: Thanks, Benjamin. Our pleasure. Thank
1: you. Fantastic. That's how we wrap it up. It's 11.45 Central African time, and it's time for us uh, to move on and get our business news. Wisani is uh, looking smart once again. Every time it's Monday, Wisani seems to up his game when it comes to his looks. So, hey, he's going to give us the business news.
2: Ladies and good morning. Uh, female entrepreneurs from across Africa are meeting at a conference at Indaba Club in Centen, north of Johannesburg this week. The conference, hosted by Lioness of Africa, will bring together 200 business women who will share their stories of success and inspire other female entrepreneurs across the continent. The organisation has a network of over 200,000 female entrepreneurs across 36 African countries. Founder of Af- Lowness of Africa, Melanie Hawken.
0: Our entire philosophy is that we all know it's hard enough being a woman entrepreneur anywhere in the world, but here in Africa there are very specific challenges. So how best to deal with those challenges? Get women together to share how they build their businesses and their brands. To inspire one another because let's be honest it as i say it can be tough and sometimes you need a little inspiration from those who have been there done it got the t-shirt built the businesses and know how to make it work here in africa
2: the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Nigeria is set to address uh, the current economic recession and lack of accountability in the nation's financial system via its 46th annual Accountants Conference. The conference is themed Accountability Now. Nigeria is scheduled to hold the meeting on Monday, October 10th to Friday, October 14th in Abuja. Komo reports.
4: In a statement, the Institute said that President Muhammadu Buhari will declare the conference open, while the President of the International Federation of Accountants, Olivia Kirtley, will deliver the lead paper titled Accountability and Good Governance. The Institute added the theme of the conference, which is the global accountability campaign of the IFEC, titled Accountability Now. The institute said it would work with government to build a global coalition to bring together organizations that support the objective of improving transparency.
2: Nigerian pension funds have been selling equities and shifting to local bonds despite cheap valuations as illiquid currency markets limit foreign participation in the stock market. Dave Udanao, who manages $724 million for Pension Fund Alliance Limited, said his fund had cut its exposure to Nigerian stocks to 10% this year. Nigeria, Africa's biggest economy, is facing its worst recession in 25 years, brought on by low oil prices, which has seen foreign investors flee its financial markets, causing chronic dollar shortages and creating risk aversion among local funds. The Zambia National Farmers Union says it's eager to discuss pressing challenges in the agricultural sector with newly appointed Minister Dora Siliya. In a statement, ZNFU Acting President Richard Lisimba stated that the farmer's body was seeking to meet Siliya to address outstanding challenges. Sichlezuma Zuma has more.
4: Zambia, like many other countries in the SADC region, is part of the Maputo Declaration that requires member countries to commit at least 10% of their annual budget to agriculture. But Zambia has over the years failed to meet the declaration with the highest allocation being 8% of the national budget during Levi Mwanawasa's government. Among the issues ZNFU is eager to discuss with the Honsilia is the need to increase budgetary allocation in the 2017 National budget to expedite the delayed FRA payments to small-scale farmers, FISP e-voucher rollout need to reduce high cost of production and prospect of resurrecting semi-irrigated maize production as bava to local food security.
2: Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar, 13.84, to the South African rent at 10.41, Botswana Pula, 9.9. Uh, Zambian Guacha also trading at 0.8 uh, to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro commodities gold $1,263 platinum is at $968 per finance brand crude oil is now at $51.48 per barrel and that's your economics news for now
1: Time now for our sports with Fili Linguat.
5: First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with football news. Nigeria's Super Eagles pulled off a superb 2-1 win in Zambia to get their 2018 FIFA World Cup qualification off the mark with a victory on Sunday. England based duo of Alex Iwobi and Kelechi Ianacho scored two first half goals to help Janet Raw's men to a first competitive win in the Southern African nation. Collins Mbesuma got Zambia's goal. Raw opted for changes from the team that defeated Zanzania last month in Nigeria in a dead rubber Africa Cup of Nations qualifier. Iwobi, Wilfred Nditi, And Moses Simon, who was feared as a doubt as at last month, started while Musa Mohamed and Ahmed Musa were left out of the start list. Meanwhile, Ivory Coast, DR Congo and Senegal recorded opening group wins in 2018 World Cup qualifiers across Africa on Saturday as South Africa considered a late equaliser in Burkina Faso. Ivory Coast beat Mali 3-1 to go top of Group C after Gabon and Morocco had earlier drawn nil all. Dear Congo thrashed Libya in Group A, winning 4-0 in Kinshasa. And on to rugby news, Springbok coach Alistair Kutsie considered that his team was outlasted, outplayed and embarrassed by the All Blacks in their 57-15 defeat in the Kassel Lager Rugby Championship played at Growth Point Kings Park in Durban at the weekend. Springbok captain Andrea Strauss also admitted that they were outlasted by a far superior All Black side, that has been sublime since winning the World Cup last year.
3: Yeah, of course not. You know, this is not about my last test. This is about the Springboks, and coach said it now, you know, it's not, not good enough. It's good enough on the night. Credit um, to the All Blacks. I said it directly after the game as well. You know, they, they definitely outlast us, especially in the last 20 minutes, 20 odd minutes. Uh, you know, we fought quite hard to hang in there uh, for a for the first half and a couple of minutes after that as well. But outlast, outplayed by, by, by the All Blacks and I want to congratulate, congratulate them as well,
5: you know, with, uh, <laughs> with their season and, and the championship. With South African Rugby's Saru planned coaching conference known as Coaching Indaba coming up soon, Gutierre says it will be the perfect opportunity to focus on the areas that are weaknesses in the game in South Africa. No,
9: one can understand that. One can understand it. Sometimes effort could be your best, but it's not good enough. Um, I don't think uh, the way we've prepared, the way we have planned and started this match was to end it like like this tonight. Um, there are lots of reasons, but uh, yet again, it's you know the players and the coaching team will have to have a hard look at ourselves. And it's only us that can turn it around. So uh, I don't even want to say people must be patient out there. Uh, We started with, new I don't want to talk those things, but yet I know and I understand fully that uh, the All Blacks, and I keep referring to their system after every World Cup, they just come out the following year with a stronger team, with a better prepared team. Um. While we had to start from scratch and rebuilding you know. so uh, systems are important I will have to be patient with the players if there are players out there that can strengthen the squad certainly we'll have a look at that but I can guarantee you there are not many out there we will again uh, take and learn from, from this championship and, and focus on the end of year tour and try and turn it around
5: and in te- athletics news, two-time world champion and 2012 Olympic silver medalist Abel Kirui won the Chicago Marathon on Sunday in 2 hours 11 minutes 0.23 seconds as Kenyans swept the men's and women's races. A 34-year-old Kirui, aged 2015 winner Dixon Chumba, one second in 2 hours 11 minutes 0.26 seconds with Gideon Kip-te- Kipkete third in 2 hours 12 minutes 0.20 seconds. While Chumba was unable to repeat his 2015 triumph, Kenya's Florence Kibla won her second straight Chicago crown, powering into a dominant victory in 2 hours, 21.32 seconds, almost two seconds ahead of runner-up Edna Kibla 2 hours, 23 minutes, 0.28 seconds. Valentine Kibkater completed the Kenyan women's sweep, finishing third in 2 hours, 23 seconds, 0.41 seconds. And lastly, with Tennis News, Andy Murray bid Grigor Dimitrov in straight sets to win the China Open as he closes on, on Novak Djokovic's number 1 ranking. The world number 2 lost six consecutive points in the second set to be pushed into a tyre break by unseeded Bulgarian. But Dimitrov was unable to hold his serve in the decider, conceding the title to the Scot, 6-4, 7-6. In other tennis news, Agnieszka Rondanska beat Johanna Konda in the street says to take the title at the China Open, her third crown of the season. The third-ranked pole, who cruised through the tournament without dropping a set, sealed her second title in Beijing with an ace for 6-4 and 6-2 to win. That's your Sport News, this hour.
1: Alright, that was a good start to the week. Hey, give us your thought. What do you think about uh, governance on the continent? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. What do you think about governance on the continent? You can tweet us at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa 1. That's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. Uh, wrapping it up is Kefa Semenya. This one is titled Matwale.